Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Bookshop Podcast. I'm Mandy Jackson Beverly. Join me as I chat with authors and other guests who specialize in subjects dear to my heart, the humanities, our environment, and everyday people doing extraordinary things. To help the show reach more people, please share with friends and family and on social media. And remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. You're listening to episode number 95. As I record this episode, it's winter solstice. The sky is loaded with clouds and the promise of rain, and trees laden with golden leaves punctuate the green of oaks and citrus that flourish in our neighborhood. I've baked and eaten more cookies than I should, and will no doubt eat more, because tis the season, and our home feels emptier this year, as it's our first without both of our sons. Instead of my usual Wednesday episode, and as Wednesdays are for authors, I thought I'd answer questions I've received from listeners asking about my background, my books, why I started this podcast, and what I have planned for 2022. Okay, first question. What were you doing in Australia, and how did you end up in Los Angeles? After graduating from high school, I auditioned for placement in the Associate of Arts program at the Tasmanian Conservatorium of Music. At 16, I was the youngest student to be accepted into the program at that time, and therefore, my acceptance came with a few stipulations. One, I had to also attend two classes at the local matriculation college. I chose philosophy and ceramics. And two, I had to add another instrument to my portfolio of piano and voice. I chose the flute. I struggled to keep up with both programs and eventually was allowed to concentrate solely on my work at the conservatorium. The reasons why I dropped out of this program after three semesters are complicated and perhaps worth a separate episode. Following this, I worked in TV and moved to the mainland of Australia to work in fashion. A few years later, I relocated to London and worked at Browns of South Moulton Street, a high-end fashion boutique world-renowned for discovering emerging designers found by the incredible Joan Burstein, or Mrs. B, as she's known to all who know her. From here, I relocated to Los Angeles, where I managed a living Newton-John store on Melrose Avenue, Koala Blue. While there, I was asked to style a music video, and that was the beginning of my life in the film industry. Over the years, I've been lucky enough to work with artists such as photographer Herb Ritz, directors Joel and Ethan Cohen, David Fincher, Diane Keaton, and Julian Temple, and music icons David Bowie, Madonna, George Michael, Tom Petty, and Tina Turner. Second question. Why did you stop working as a costume designer stylist in the film industry? The short answer is my husband and I decided to start a family, and when the boys reached school age, we homeschooled them until the eldest went into high school and his brother into sixth grade. I began teaching other children, specifically theater and high school drawing and AP art. During this time, the idea for the creative series morphed into a story, and in 2016, A Secret Muse was published, followed by The Devil and the Muse, The Immortal Muse, and The Legend of Astrodar Birth. Since 2013, I'd been a blog writer for the Huffington Post, 
But I found I enjoyed switching from writing creative nonfiction to dark fantasy fiction. It was really fun. Okay, third question. Why did I start the Bookshop Podcast? Well, early on in the pandemic, I was walking with a friend who was in publishing, and I asked her what the publishing companies were going to do about promoting their authors, since most bookshops were under lockdown at the time. She explained they were in the process of figuring out that scenario. I thought about the difficulties facing independent bookshops, and the idea of the podcast took shape. Not one to sit around and wait for things to happen, I spent weeks learning an audio editing program and the ins and outs of podcasting. Luckily, my husband, musician and producer Brian Beverly, wrote the theme music for the show, and before I knew it, I had booked my first six interviews with indie bookshop owners and authors. After a couple of months, I changed the format and broke the show into two sections, which became the Monday episode where I interview indie bookshop owners and the Wednesday episodes for authors, entrepreneurs specializing in the humanities and the environment. We have a few new items we're adding to the show in 2022, and I'm looking forward to sharing them with you. That's going to be exciting. Okay, question four. Are you writing more books? Yes, I'm currently working on two. One tells the story of Ignacio, a character from the creative series, one of my favorite, and the other is a work of literary fiction. Now that I have a team helping me with graphics, emails, and scheduling interviews, I have time to get back to writing. I enjoy learning new skills. In fact, I'm the kind of person who enjoys being busy. Plus, I love what I do. However, I'm not a fast writer, and my stories demand a vast amount of research. I'm going to finish this episode with a reading from the companion novella to the creative series, The Legend of Astrada Birth. Unlike my dark supernatural thrillers, A Secret Muse, The Devil in the Muse, and The Immortal Muse, this little book is somewhat lighter, and written as an adult fairy tale. It's the first piece I wrote in the series, and while it wasn't published until after the first two books, it is the basis of the creative's world and therefore holds a special place in my heart. The Legend of Astrodar Birth includes five colour illustrations by Australian artist Becky Stonehouse. Becky's interpretations of my characters are sublime, and each time I look at her portrayal of my character Gunwald, I smile. He's absolutely perfect. The ebook version is free for a limited time from my website, mandyjacksonbeverly.com. Click on the Books tab, scroll down to The Legend of Astrodar Birth, and tap on Buy Direct from the author. This will take you to the download page. The links to my books are in the show notes, and remember, they're available from your local indie bookstore. If they don't have them on the shelf, they can order them for you. Coming up on the podcast, we have interviews with Dan and Emily at Storysmith Books in South Bristol, Michael Herman from Gibson Bookstore, Jenner at Time Out in New Zealand, to name a few, and next Wednesday, I'm chatting with architect Vina Lestado, owner of Soul House Design and Vina's Tiny Houses, a design firm specializing in sustainable building. We have an exciting lineup of guests for 2022, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, relax and enjoy the prologue and first chapter of The Legend of Astrodar. The Legend of Astrodar, Birth 
a creative series novella. Illustrations by Becky Stonehouse, written by Mandy Jackson Beverly. Relationships The story of Astrodar begins not with her birth, or even her youth, but rather with the story of her ancestors. For although we are born to explore our own path, we are also linked to our history, woven from a thin thread connecting us to our forefathers. Every decision, every love-filled moment, every fear and net of deceit thrown around us, all are reflections of the shadows of our memories and are derived from our paternal and maternal collective. Our cells hold the consciousness of our past encounters, and it is our choice whether to learn from them and find peace or lie stagnant and wither. But as necessary as our blood relatives are, so are the friends and adoptive family members we meet, for they are our teachers, just as we are theirs. Such is the case in the legend of Astrodar, for the immortal who once protected a mother would later become her daughter's eternal friend and confidant. And although the friend's journeys move along separate paths, one a protector of the arts, the other a warrior, their calls to each other reach beyond any measure of space. Chapter 1. Gunwald and Skald In the far north, where the earth moved in torpid time, a woman dressed in a cloak of pearl-coloured velvet halted in her steps. Light glistened on her skin, making it appear like translucent alabaster, and the ivory white of her irises was framed with a background of ice-flowing water. She scanned the vast plateau where snowflakes fallen over past millennia now rested deep under a slab of thick ice, a steadily moving form that shaped the valley of the wind-swept tundra sleeping in a cradle of jagged, snow-covered mountains. The landscape was a quiet place where science collided with nature to create visions of supreme beauty, a slumber of sweet innocence. The woman was recognizable as the Lady and the Rose, but that was not always her name. Before the first falling known as Ragnarok, three women lived in the well of Urd, the first root of the sacred ash tree, Yggdrasil. These three demigoddesses, or Norns as they were known, shaped the destiny of all beings. The Norn, named Skald, meaning future, was rescued from the falling ash tree by the fey king Gunwald. Skald and Gunwald had been in love for many years and were now free to roam together above the roots of Yggdrasil and enter the world of mortals. Their love brought them a son, a fey prince whose destiny would bring him responsibilities that, like they had his father, would at times pull him away from his beloved for the fates of the immortal are tethered to the well-being of the mother of this earth. But mirroring the cycle of birth, death, and rebirth was the path of Skald. Although her sisters were long gone, as the lone survivor, she carried the weight of the well of Erd, the well of destiny, in her blood. Throughout her life, Skald had experienced a recurring vision where she stood in a garden of roses, each time she entered the dream, the petals on the roses were fewer until the ground beneath her lay covered in hues of pink and red, leaving the bushes bare, their limbs naked except for an armor of deadly thorns. 
Skald picked up a handful of petals and watched as they ascended, forming a trail upward to the heavens, only to rain upon the earth in a deluge of crimson-tinged hail. All around her, the ground was covered in blood-splattered pages from books, mutilated paintings, damaged musical instruments, and torn dancing slippers. Skald knew the occurrence to be divine, a message from the Ancient Ones that she should protect the beauty of the arts. In another vision, Skald saw a woman with eyes that sparkled gold and hair white, like freshly fallen snow that long ago fell on the lost lands of Niflheim. But Skald also saw a dark cloud hovering above the woman, threatening to end the cycles of the Earth Mother and push all life toward the cycle of death toward the second Ragnarok. Later that day, Gunwald found Skald in the forest of the Dryads, sobbing onto a bed of rose petals. She told him of her visions, and as she did, her tears turned pink, and roses lifted from the ground and twirled until they formed a curtain around the two lovers. Gunwald took his beloved to the plain of endless love and pure tranquility on a bed of sweet-smelling petals, and in the tender moments that linger after passion, Skald shared with him what she had seen and the identity of the beautiful young woman who roamed the earth as a saviour of the creative essence. She was their granddaughter. But as with all love, Gunwald and Skald's relationship was not without heartache. One day, while the two lovers were crossing the tundra, Gunwald's heart was pierced with a silver arrow tainted with Caron's abol. As he lay dying, Freya appeared, ready to carry the Fey King to the depths of her world. Please, no! And a skull fell across her beloved's dying body. The vast glaciers began to melt, and everything around her started to wane. Stop! yelled Freya. This world must not die. Skald, cease your tears. Skald lifted her head slowly and stared up at Freya. You ask too much, for my heart is breaking. Freya knelt next to Skald. He cannot live here on this plain. Then let him live in another, Skald said. We have seen our son's daughter. She will be more powerful than I. If you take Gunwald to your world, our granddaughter's life will not be... For if Gunwald dies, our son will not have a purpose, nor will I. Freya gazed around at the dying world. I can take him below this place, she said. Gunwald will live, and you can use your magic to speak with him. Skull closed her eyes and screamed her son's name. Harkon! In a flash, her son stood beside her and took his father's hand in his own, who did this? Who would tarnish a silver arrow with such a thing as the boatman's coin? He glared with fury at Freya. Was it you? Freya shook her head. No, but rest assured I will find the assassin and send him to hell where he belongs. In truth, Freya already knew who fired the arrow, and she also knew the antidote to save Gunwald's life. But Freya's soul was steeped in jealousy and she could no longer stand to see the joy of love that bound Gunwald and Skald, the same love shared by humans, an emotion unknown to her. For Gunwald's life to be saved, you must give him three drops of your blood, Skald, but that will not stop the poison of the silver running through his body. 
A cut appeared on Skull's wrist, and she held it over Gunwald's parted lips until three drops of blood fell into his mouth. Gunwald's eyes fluttered open, and he stared with tenderness at his beloved. Our souls will always be together, my love, he whispered. Skald leaned closer and kissed him. I also had a vision, Gunwald continued. The young woman you saw. I will be her scribe. Send me images of her life, and I will keep her story safe. We must protect her. He sighed. My dearest love, my lady and the rose. Skald looked to Freya. Give us something, or I swear I will call upon the well of Erd and bring wrath to this place. She gasped between her sobs. I beg of you, Freya, please allow us one cycle of the sun and stars, and in return I will bring back life to all that withers in the coldest times. Freya nodded. Agreed. On the equinox, you and Gunwald should be together as in your youth, without pain or age. Freya gathered Gunwald in her arms. Nave, Kelda, Selby, Skald called to the fairies, and three ethereal beings appeared. Go with my beloved and care for him. You shall have the freedom to go beyond the depths of this world, but please look after my love. She glared at Freya, who dared not question her demand. The fairies nodded as they fluttered around Gunwald. Yes, dearest Gald, they answered in unison. Harkon leaned over his father and kissed him lightly. I will watch over mother. Gunwald laid a hand over Harkon's heart. Always keep love in your heart. Harkon nodded and stepped away. Skald's lips brushed Gunwald's, and as she lifted her head, he saw that her tears had turned to rose petals. The corners of Gunwald's lips turned upward. My sweet lady and the rose, he said, his words barely audible. My eternal beloved, Skald said as she let go of Gunwald's hands. Hakon caught his mother as she fell. Freya turned to Skald just as a set of stone steps appeared in the snow, and for a moment an essence of something she had not known before washed over her. Skald raised her head and spoke without words to Freya. That is my heart-breaking Freya. May you never feel this agony. Struck by the power of Skald's raw emotion, Freya turned away and quickly descended the stairs. A blanket of snow washed away all visible traces of Skald's beloved Gunwald and the secret world that lay below ice and snow. As she clung to her son, Skald's desperate screams of pain echoed across the landscape. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Mandy Jackson Beverly. And check out my website at mandyjacksonbeverly.com. And if you'd like to contribute to the coffee fund, go to www.patreon.com forward slash the bookshop podcast and become a patron of the show. For information regarding sponsoring an episode, email thebookshoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. 
Theme music provided by Brian Beverly.